This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, LS Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin' or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off can be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Lobe strangers a swindon town fan podcast with me rich pullen rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot I will win this league anyway. Richard, he's hit it. It's Cradwell! Here we go again then. Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. I think this is one of the episodes you've been waiting for for quite a while because I'm very happy to say that my guest for this episode is Charlie Austin. I think there's not much to be said about Charlie that we don't already know. It's amazing that he agreed to come on here and I'm hugely grateful for that. I must say that this episode focuses predominantly on his Swindon career, but of course we talk about his early days in football at Reading and then falling into non-league with Kintbury and Hungerford and Poole Town where his goals, goals, goals result in the attention of football league clubs, including Swindon, where Danny Wilson brings him to Wiltshire in 2009. We talk about that fantastic first season for the club, which resulted in heartbreak at Wembley against Millwall. And that terrible second season, great for Charlie. Injuries aside, he's still scoring goals, but Swindon do get relegated. But Charlie's already gone at that point. That annoyed the fans at the time. We talk about that in depth. Don't you worry. Look, what a way to start the season for the podcast. It's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers. Enjoy. How are you? 
I am very well. All the better for talking to yourself. Thank you very much for agreeing to take part. Yeah, no problem at all. We start right at the start, which is, who did you support when you were a kid and who were your football heroes? I supported Liverpool as a kid because me, me dad um, was a Liverpool fan growing up. Um, obviously, I live in Hungerford, which is a small town, probably about 20 minutes from Hungerford, so, uh, from Swindon, sorry. So, of course, I support a team that's um, four or five hours drive away, like a lot <laughs> good in this area as such. Being a centre forward and a goal scorer growing up, I couldn't have looked no further than Alan Shearer, you know. He was the England captain, the number nine for our country, and he's the leading Premier League goal scorer. So he was someone that I idolised growing up. You're from Hungerford, not too far away from Hungerford, because it's right on the Berkshire-Wiltshire border. There's a, there's, a, there's a little team I'm sure you're aware of called Swindon Town. Where, where did they fall on your radar when, when you were a kid? I'll tell you what, I was seven years old. I went for a trial there in Clive... Clive Maguire was the um, was part of like, he was part of the football community for probably 10, 15, even when I signed when I was twenty one. So we're talking about fifteen years on. He was still part of the footballing community, and I um, went to a couple of soccer schools um, at the time. And he he'd like that he liked me. Of course, I was six, seven years old. Like I've, I've been very well documented before saying, listen, six, seven year olds should just be allowed to enjoy their football. Should never go to a team. So, that was it. I went on trial a couple of times for Swindon and you know, it was all about skills. And I knew that I'm not skillful enough. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm 29 now. I'd never done a step over in my life. Do you know what I mean? It was it was one it was one of them. And I'd went then all about the skills, etc. It never worked for me. And I and I just went back to Hungerford and that was it. And I was just played there. And then I was fortunate. Obviously, I went the opposite end. 15 miles right of the M4 instead of left. And, and obviously, I that was where I started, you know, so... So I was in the middle of 15 miles left was Swindon, 15 miles right was Reading. Five years ago, you did a interview with The Independent with Jack Pitt Brook. Long article, the usual stuff, the rags to riches, yeah. blah, 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 etc., etc. But there was a bit right at the start, really struck a chord of me. And you've mentioned just a bit there because you were with Reading between 10 and 15. And you talk about the fact that you just wanted to play football with your mates, as you said, it's been documented before. And that really struck a chord with me because the... The guys that I knew that were in academies who played for Southampton or Bristol Rovers, they were the best players on the pitch, but they were so mechanical and robotic. They never seemed to enjoy their football. The rest of us are having a great time and the others are just head down. They're dribbling around everyone. They stop, they pack up and they go. You said six, seven, eight, nine. And I agree with you. I think that's far too young for kids to be playing at that sort of structured football. When should they start going in, do you think? Do you know, what? I always said like when they when they get to say eleven side football, then they can be coached in a certain way, position wise. But up until then, it's all about trying new positions. I was very fortunate at the time I was nine. I knew where I needed to stand, and that was the top end of the pitch. So I knew all way all along. I knew I was going to be. I wanted to be a centre forward. I wanted to be the goal scorer. I wanted to be the main person. But I think growing up wise, you should other people as such. Or you're not always going to be a striker. You might not have that knack for being a goal scorer. And don't know, that, that knack is very minimal. You look around now, there's not many out-and-out -out goal scorers as such, you know. You could be a def midfielder, defender, a winger, etc., etc. I just think if you get to 11 aside, by that time, coming through the youth system, which was 6 aside, 7 aside, 8 aside, 9 aside, then you get a realise where you might have had a taste of playing at the back. That might not be as for you as a, as a wide man, left and right side, a centre midfielder. And I thought, by the time it comes to 11 aside, you've kind of got a position for you as such. 
However, you're still open to learn because that position that might be for there at one point in 18 months time, all of a sudden you might think, actually, I want to try something out. But it's never it's not too late. All of a sudden you're only 13, 14 years old. Do you know what I mean? Everybody now is saying, well, I need to take you. You're seven. You're eight. You do the best. This. How can you be eight? You're a year three at primary school. I mean, I'm a father. Of, I'm a father of four. Uh, do you know what I mean? It, it, it's not possible. It's not possible to push your child. Now, everyone has the dream of being a professional footballer. Of course, we all did at the time of playing the school program when we were at primary school, the secondary school, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you, people need to realise that it's such a small, minimal few that actually make it. The percentage is very, very small, as everybody in in the country and and the world knows. But to have that dream and the belief of of taking it onto the next tier, everybody wants. But you need to have that back for. And if if you go into the a team at 13 years old, of being a centre forward, and all of a sudden you don't score a couple of goals, then if you actually, are, do you know what? All of a sudden I'm 14, 15. It doesn't work for you. I don't. Oh, let's try at the back. But you're only you're only 14, 15. The dream's not. The dream's not gone. So it's all about learning. I, I truly believe it's all about learning. And you can you can never be too young. You can never be too old. How many um, footballers do you think are rejected because of their height at an early age? There must be a significant list. I can think of at least like Kevin Phillips being the, the most high profile one. Southampton seemed to be perennially back in the uh, 80s, 90s rejecting players because of their height. That seems such such a ridiculous way, especially now since Spain changed the way that that academies look at look at their kids. Um, do you know what you could? You could I, I think it's not only the height. I think you could you couldn't go off the the size of players. It just football's a matter of opinions. And at that age, you if you, if you're only small, you've got to have a lot about you. You've got to be very technical on the ball, and you've got to shine, and you've got to be something that the taller person's not. Uh, and that's the way it is. And the amount of players that move on. And then within two, three years, they have that little growth spurt when they're in year 10 and we're at year 11 and they're only 14, 15, 16. Do you know what I mean? All of a sudden, you go from X to Y and, and it's like, why are you not? Why did you not sign that? Oh, I was a little bit smaller at the time. Yeah, but you're six foot two now. Do you know what I mean? You, it, it, that's what I'm saying. So for the age groups, it, it is very hard because you need to, re- like, how can you say, you, you let someone go at 14, say, for example, that's because they're a bit too small. They're a bit, they play centre-half. They're, they're good with their feet, but... The one next to him is already six foot, so it's a quick fix because he can head it. All right, but how do you know when he's 17, he's not going to be six foot two? Hmm. He's still got the ball at his feet. Instead of heading it 20 yards forward, he brings it down his chest and passes it out to the wide man. Like, do you know what I mean? It's a full amount of opinions, and that's where it comes through the academies and the young players. You've got to have. You've got to be brave to take them decisions. So when you sort of start your journey in, in, in the football pyramid with Kintbury, was that yeah. seen as like a release from having had that structure at Reading, now being able to play at a lower level, sure, but with, with your mates and sort of be able to express yourself going up forward and score a bucket ton of goals that you did in that season. Was that as a result of being able to just be out there yeah. again. I, I always had the confidence that I'd be a, I was a goal scorer, it didn't matter where it was. So I'd left I'd left Reading and I'd went to sign for Newbury and uh, at the time I signed for Newbury which was only a small town up the road and it was to the end of the season probably at six months scored the goals. End of the season I thought right I'm going to play for Hungerford on a Sunday and that was when I was moving into year 11 so I was 15, 16 at the time but my uncle Darren Angel he ran Kimbury Reserves so I went in to sign he said look just come and sign for me just play a few games and see how you get on. Look, we're playing against men's football. It's, so it's, you can imagine being a year 11. I wasn't the biggest at the time. And it's the same. You get kicked a couple of times. You think, oh, that's, that's not for me, you know. Um, but I didn't. I went and played. So I played on a Saturday for Kimbury. On a Sunday, I played for Hungerford. 
But I was scoring goals for Kimpley on a Saturday with full-grown men. I'd play for Hungerford on a Sunday with my age group, and I'd play the youth team in the midweek. I was miles ahead. Not because of my ability as such, but because I was playing full-grown men on a on a Saturday, just give me mile, it, that just gave me that extra edge. When you're playing against your 15, 16, you're playing against 24 to 34. Sometimes I play against 40-year-olds. Do you know what I mean? It, it just gave me that that more edge. And that probably gave me the boost going through that that little period that I had. And like I say, I always had, I always had belief in myself I'd score goals. I scored the first one and then just went on and went on and went on. And do you know what I mean? And that, and that was it for Kimbury. Another point in the Jack Pitt Brook article, which I loved, um, yeah. you sort of joke, I think you sort of joke in there where you talk about not having any ambitions when you're that age. And the reason I find that brilliant, because I was exactly the same. You know, we all wanted to be footballers. That would be cool. nice, but but none of us really had cemented ambitions. And I'm from small town Wiltshire, and where there yeah. isn't much going on. And I thought that was really honest, and one of those things where you know it's easy to say I wanted to be a footballer. This is all I wanted to do, but really we're not that fussed, are we, at that age? Listen, I'm um, growing up. I was a one. This was me and my sister, and that was it. Growing up, I want to be a footballer. Boy, I want to be a footballer. But everyone in the playground wanted to be a footballer. I could have turned around. My dad runs a successful building company. I could have said, right, I'm going to carry on. I'm going to be a bricklayer and take it from my dad. But I didn't. I didn't have no ambition to be a footballer. I didn't have a, I had the dream of being a footballer. But it's like we all have. It's, there's no difference. You know what I mean? It's, there's no difference. We all have a dream of being a footballer. When it doesn't happen, no one actually knows. Nobody actually knows, do they? Do you know what I mean? So, uh, like I say, like I've got friends that are builders, that are lorry drivers, do you know, that are gardeners, that are kitchen fitters. No, you can't tell me when you're in year seven, eight, nine, ten, all of a sudden you're going to be a, be a kitchen fitter. You couldn't tell me you're opposite uh, professional footballers and Swindon XX players thinking you're going to interview them. You just, that that's, you didn't believe, you didn't think that way. At that time, do you know what I mean? Yourself, you didn't think that. I didn't think I'd be a footballer at the time. I dreamt it. Do you know what I mean? That that's just the way. Um, that's the way it is, and it's only when it's only when you you think and you speak to people when they open up to you properly, and and they feel relaxed, say in an interview as such, is that it comes across. Do you know what? He actually speaks to. He done the interview then. I speak to him now. It's nothing really changes. You know. Yeah. When you when you do a Google search for Charlie Austin. It's full of mainstream media talking about your rise. Um, we all know that you made a jump from, well, at one stage, tier nine to tier three when you joined Swindon. In 2007, you're in the 10th tier. In 2014, um, you're in the top tier. I, I don't really want to talk about that for very long because I think it's out there. It's in the domain. It's, it's, it's well documented. And you've been in football, what, 10 years now? as a pro anyway, do you get frustrated with having to talk about the building site to the Premier League all the time? I'll tell you when I did. I'll tell you when I did, and I was at QPR at the time, and the reason, I'll go back, so I've gone to, I've left Hungerford, I've gone to Port Town. I had, um, it didn't work for me at Hungerford, I was a local boy, do you know what I mean? I, I, I was with my mates, that's still my mates now. Imagine being 18, you go out and have a few pints, I wasn't going to be a footballer, I mean, I used to carry the odd for me dad. So it was no, do you know what I mean? I was a, I was odd carrier. So it was, there was no getting away from that. Work for it Friday, go and have a couple of pints. Wake up Saturday, I had to play football. I never took it serious. It was what it is. You get a brown envelope with a cash at 30 quid in. After the game, you just spend it behind the bar with my mates, have a few pints. And it was it was one of them. Went to Paul Town, it kind of just took on, took on, took on. It went through the journey. So we skipped forward five years and all of a sudden I'm at QPR. I'm sat opposite Les Ferdinand. 
in, we're both having an interview and some someone asks us the question saying about do you think obviously coming through the building the non-league and that you're striking I said look I'll, I'll stop you there I scored 20 goals in, in the championship for QPR I was on 14 at the time in the Premier League I said I'm not disregarding what everything I've done and through the non-league because I enjoyed it and it, it grew me as a person do you know what I mean and it grew in the, to the person I am now but if I went through as through say Swindon Academy for example and I used Cambridge back in the time as, as an example through their academy and played for Cambridge and all of a sudden being there, uh, the non, oh, non-league strike had done well I, I loved everything I'd done but then I just turned and just went look I'm a Premier League goal scorer. There's no getting away from it. I'm a Premier League goal scorer. I'm where I'm from, but and I don't think I'm ever being rude and abruptive, but I'm a Premier League goal scorer. Not address me as a Premier League goal scorer. That, that's ridiculous. Do you know what I mean? But do you know what I mean? Like, I haven't forgotten the non-league. I, I score goals in the Premier League now. Let, let's go with that one. Let's put the non-league bit to bed because I've gone over and over and over it again. You know? Absolutely. I completely agree. I mean, there's only one other element really before we go into Swindon Town. It's just like, and you, you mentioned it before where you talk about the sort of the amount of footballers that come through the academy system. And the same really is for the non-league system as well. I mean, to think that you got through, you got your deal with Swindon. If it wasn't Swindon, it would have been somebody else. I mean, of course, Bournemouth were after you, but they had the embargo. But then you've got players like Russell Cook, who was your strike partner for a little bit, who, who was looked at by football league clubs as well, but suffered injuries. And do you ever look back at that? Because as, a, as somebody who suffers injuries on a semi-regular yeah, yeah. basis yourself, do you ever think back and go, just think, oh man, it just, it just worked out at the right time for me? I went to Paul Town, and I'll say this, this I'll say, uh, and I'll say it later on in the interview, so you, you'll get where I'm coming from as we go on. But I played for Paul Town. The manager was a centre-forward. I played for him a couple of times through pre-season. A guy, Jason Braidwood, got me down there, so I went down there and played again. I was useless. Pre-season, rubbish. Then we played against, and it was high. I scored two goals. Yeah, yeah, lovely. And it all kind of just, everything fell into place. The team then turned for me. So the wide men used to get in wide areas. We've got trusted the centre forward. We trusted the 19-year-old we knew nothing about. Just put it in there. Number 10 will attack the ball. And that was what it is. It's all about turning the team to play for you. As it being a forward, as much as for if it's a team sport, but if you can get the trust of your players and the, the other 10 members of your team that can trust you for putting the ball in the, end, in the onion bag... That is what happened at Paul Town, do you know what I mean? And, and then it all fell into place. I kind of just went there as an unknown. Didn't step on people as such, do you know what I mean? I just got better. And the goals, goals speak volumes, don't they? You know, it doesn't matter what league you play in, the goals speak volumes. And that was it. Word got about, word got about. And then the rest was just part of that was the very big push of the uh, the start of it all. Rose <laughs> in for the injured Alan Sheehan. Here this evening, Christian Daly has lost out to Charlie Austin. It's a clinical finish. And it's the same old story. Charlie Austin scores for Swindon Town. Thinking back, I really regret this time, really, because I was away from, from Wiltshire, so I missed a whole ton of it, and it was hugely, hugely enjoyable from, from, from afar. Um, when you joined, it seemed like Danny Wilson 
was really, really thorough. I could never decide whether it was thorough or reluctant when they were scouting you because you feature in trials, you score, you play alongside Billy Painter, I think, in the tri- in, in reserve games, you score. They watch you play for pool, you score. It just seemed to go on and on and on and on. I, I think, do you know what it was? Uh, so, Andrew Fitton was the chairman at the time. He had me at Hungerford when I was there and obviously I was meant to go on trial at Swindon when Morris Malpass was in charge with a guy that was local by from Swindon called Jamie Gosling, who's now in uh, now in Australia doing his own football camp. So he was going to go, but at the time we couldn't go because they just signed, I think it was Mark Marshall, I think, from non-league. So it was, it, I, I think what we heard back was we couldn't be seen signing too many people or taking too many people from non-league as such. Do you know what I mean? Because it wouldn't sit well with the fans. Do you know what? It worked brilliant for me because if they took me on trial two, two years before... It would have never happened. I wouldn't be sat in the situation I am now. Do you know what I mean? So it was one of them. Fine. So that was it. So we go to Swindon. I signed a contract with Paul Town probably about six, seven months before. But I actually didn't really know what a contract was. I played the football, get the money on a Saturday afternoon after the game. Brilliant. I go to Bournemouth on trial. Everything's fantastic. Come to the back in the transfer window. And Eddie Al pulls me and says, Charlie, look, thank you very much for coming doing all the truck look we'd love to keep you here but we can't transfer embargo etc so I said look well look Eddie I'm going to be honest with you there's a guy called Mike Fowler who was a scout at the time but he was probably a lower scout for the, like the younger younger players he was my district manager he'd actually rang me two days before and said look Ken Ryder who was the chief scout had heard about me so wants to take me on trial and I said to Eddie how look thank you very much uh, Swindon have offered me a trial next week I'm, I'm going to take it he said okay but if you go like that that's it we can't go anymore so yeah yeah no problem I went to I went to Swindon and trained did the week trial spoke to Danny Wilson after thank you very much Charlie look really appreciate you coming in that was it on a Friday and that was my first week's training really thinking they don't really do a lot at the back end of the week do you know what I mean they don't do a lot, a lot of team. so go the weekend I go and play back for Paul Town scored a couple of goals Anyway, all of a sudden, I hit, can you, Charlie, can you come and play against Swansea on the Wednesday? Yeah, no problem. So I played, but Ferry Bowday was playing for Swansea. The 3,000, like, the kickoff gets delayed half an hour. Ferry Bowday's just come back from injury. Everything's going off. Like, there's about 3,000 Swansea fans here, about the, their, their star. Jeremy Newton was the, was the youth team manager at the time. Played, I remember going, I remember it bright as day now, all the people, we all playing, we're getting one beat, one nil. All I remember is the ball going out wide to Nathan Thompson. He goes down the down the line and squares it to me about six yards out. Another tap in. Delighted. One, I was thinking, this is, you couldn't make this up. This is brilliant. Nothing happens for the rest of the weeks. So and now there's two weeks from the start of my trial to the after this game and, and the end of that week is two weeks. We come to the weekend. I go back to playing for Pool Town. Nothing. Then I get a phone call saying, um, from the Pool Town manager Tom Clitz saying, look, we've had an offer from Swindon. It's not. We don't think it's acceptable. And my heart shattered. I just thought, wow, my, like my dream is kind of faltered here. What's what's going on? The week, day and day and day passed by. I come to the Saturday and Paul Town said to me, listen, you need to play on the, we're going to play the game on Saturday and I, I think this will be your last one. We played Moneyfields and I scored five and beat him 6-0. I remember the managers going mad. You're cheating, he shouldn't be here. You know he's going to Swindon. This is an outrage and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> And that was it. On the Monday, I signed. I think it was the Monday I went in. I signed on the Tuesday, and the first game. I, I remember asking uh, Louise at the time, which was their secretary, saying, "Can I ask? Can I have two tickets, please, for um, 
me and my wife wife now to come and watch. And she, yep, no problem. And it was when they, we, at the time, drew one all with Wickham and Wickham scored right at the last minute and drew one all at the county ground. And that was it. So it took like three, two and a half, three weeks for it. And it was because Paul Town was trying to get the best for them. <laughs> Swindon was trying to get the best for them. And to everybody else, it sounded like it was going slow. And to me, it felt like it was just going, the ball was going so slow. You imagine my parents put off what my dream was gone. Do you know what I mean? I'd had the, I had like my, the boy's dream. I just let it go and enjoyed myself. And then, unfortunately, and then I got very fortunate that the carrot got dangled in front of my face and, and, I, and all of a sudden it was in my hands and I took it. What was expected from you by Danny Wilson in those early weeks? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. He come and watched me. Mm. I pulled down my lap and I'd scored two goals for Bournemouth Poppies against Bournemouth Poppies and he, and that was it. And then we're going there and he said, look, just enjoy yourself. I met, I signed a nine-month deal. I signed in September, so it was to the end of the season. If it worked, it was a it was a win. It was like a win-win. If it didn't work for nine months, we just took a lad for nine. Do you know what I mean? Nine months didn't work, no problem. Go back to Port Town. If it worked, brilliant. He said, so just come and enjoy yourself. Learn from, learn from what it is. Learn from from the people that's here. And, and see where you go, and that was and that was it. I just got into training, and all of a sudden, it just kind of everything went in. He, he never put any pressure on me. Never once did he put pressure on me at all. I think it was the second time I spoke to Cy Ferry. He mentioned that you didn't need any assistance really from any of the squad. You integrated your well. You did well to bring yourself up to speed with the rest of the team. Would you say that was right? I say this to the day now. If I never had six weeks at Bournemouth. I wouldn't be in the position I was at Swindon. I wouldn't be in the position I am now. That gave me the six weeks of training every single day with professional football. Oh, okay, they was in League Two, but at the time, pre-season, pre-season, doesn't matter if you do it in League Two, it's still hard work, you know? So that gave me, when I went back to Paul Town, I had five, six steps over everybody else. Monday to Friday, they're going to work. Monday to Friday, I was training with Bournemouth, you know? Mm. So I went mm. to Swindon, and, and so I had that. And I'm quite confident that anyway, so I kind of fitted in I fitted in quite well as it as it went, and then in training I used to think, right, how can I st- not stand out as such? How how do I not do anything too complicated? I don't want to do too much to show off. I think right, shooting comes just at the target, just at the target, just at the target, and but that come naturally to me. I was very fortunate that come naturally to me anyway, and then all of a sudden everyone's like looking, he ain't missed you, he ain't missed you, he ain't missed you, he ain't missed you. Do you know what I mean? And that and that was that was the way it was. You still have to adapt from that semi-professional life to to the professional life. So, Danny Wilson sort of integrates you slowly but surely. So you're you, a cameo in the in the football league trophy. I think it's at Exeter until that Carlisle debut. Were you happy just to let that happen, go with the flow, trust Danny Wilson? Yeah, I was. But I, you got to understand, I'd come from playing every weekend. And all of a sudden, it wouldn't happen. I was left out of the squad. But not, like, you know what I mean? I left out of the squad. Like, me, I think, I want to play. I want to play. I didn't ever think that I left out of the squad, etc. But that was all part of the, the, the learning side. I went to Exeter in the midweek. We drew one all, then obviously won four two and penalties. Phil saved two pens. And I was actually taking the fifth pen. I'd just come on for two minutes and went straight to penalty. Next time was to actually taking the fifth penalty. It was all, all fun. Do you know what I mean? It was all fun and enjoyment that bit. And then I had that little taste, two minutes, but I had the little taste where thinking, oh, I want a little bit more here. Yeah? I want a little bit more here. Yeah? Then it went quiet because we had to play Woking. I think it was either Woking or Wrexham. I'm not too sure. I know we had to play Woking in the first round, Wrexham in the second. Now, I'm not sure if Woking was before I'd come or, or after. 
Anyway, it was one or two. So I was cup tied because obviously I played for Paul Town in the, cup, the FA Cup qualifying round. So I couldn't be involved in that. And then we went to Norwich away. And then that was, I'm at Norwich away. And you, you look at Norwich at the time. They was obviously the front runners. They was having 25,000 every week. Do you know what I mean? I'm sat on the bench at, Nor- uh, at Norwich. Sorry, and I'm thinking, wow, this is incredible. I go to warm up. And it, opposite, the, opposite the dugout at Norwich, and you look left, is where the away fans are. There's the Swindon fans. I think we probably had about, if I'm guessing, maybe 18,000. 1,800, sorry, 2,000. I've gone to warm up and they're singing my name, Charlie, Charlie Austin. I'm thinking, this is mental. What is going on here? I'm warming up. Norwich fans are booing me. I'm thinking, I've just come from non-league. I've never had none of this. I mean, I've had none of this. And uh, all of a sudden, Danny Wilson calls me about the 20 minutes to go and I go on the pitch. I'm thinking, wow, this is incredible. Play the 20 minutes, they just go, boom, straight like that. And I, I couldn't believe it. The following week, we've gone to Tramia and I come on for six minutes. I was fuming after the game because I want to play more. I want to play more. Now I've had that taste. Do you know what I mean? I want to play more. But before the Tranmere game, I went to, we played Reading on the Wednesday. And Bill was out of favour beforehand. Bill never played. He was on the bench with me. And I think Ben actually and Alex Revel played. Me and Bill went to Reading on the Wednesday. And we won 4-1, 4-2. And we both scored two. And all of it, I don't really know what happened. I didn't train with Bill a couple of times. Like as a partnership, nothing, nothing more. He scored two, I scored two. He set me up, I set him up, and it just worked. Do you know what I mean? Come to the weekend, Bill started. I was on the bench. We won four one away. I think it was three up, three one up. I think Simon made it four. Bill scored two, and and that was. And I think from the Reading game to to the end of the season, the partnership just worked. Even even from like I say from the Reading game. Right to the end, that's where I'd say the partnership worked. We'll certainly talk about that partnership um, a bit more later. On the centre-forwards front, as you said, we've got Billy Painter. Um, also at the club at that moment in time, you've got the lone players, um, Alex Revel, Ben Hutchison, Topa Bay was up front at that point. Lee, P- Lee Peacock's there, but he's not really playing up front anymore at that point. All fighting for a place. What is that environment like? Especially as most of those guys are coming in from big teams. Are they embracing you or are they sort of looking at you as a threat or is it a bit of both? Take Lee Peacock out of the equation mm-hmm. and the other people was seen as a threat. I, I personally believe that at the time I thought I was Topi, obviously, but he come from Bolton. Bolton was in the Premier League at the time, do you know what I mean? Mm. He, he didn't really see me, but I think he probably did. Ben come from Celtic, and, and Ben was, Ben, he probably seen me train a little bit more. And I, I always felt I had the edge over everybody else because I, I could score goals. So I always felt, just give me a chance, I'll show you I can I can score goals. And that, that's why I always fancy my edge over the demonstrate Alex Revel, Topi, Ben. But Lee Peacock, he was the one person that never seen me as a rival. He actually spoke to me from day one, made sure everything was okay with me, made sure I was fine, was settling well. Because obviously he was at the other, the opposite end, you know what I mean, of his career compared to me. Mm. And, and that is, he's probably one of the person that stands up to me at the start of my career at Swindon that actually took me under his wing and who I really enjoyed just every day, made sure I was okay. Is everything settling all right? Are you all right outside the football? Do you know what I mean? Anything I needed, he actually sorted out. Um, and he's someone I really, I got on really well at the start of my career. Yeah. How important is it to have a good rapport with strike partners on and off the pitch? Well, massive because you can't play up front with someone that you don't like. So you're not going to square the ball to someone that you don't. As mad as, mad as it sounds, goal scorers are selfish. 
We're the most selfish people on the pitch. We actually are. This is like you, this is the way you go. It is about as centre forward is a team game. But centre forwards want to score goals. You are bread and you are known about goals. Not sis. Where do you play? Everyone's playing. Where do you play? Nowadays, everyone say, what, what position do you play? I'll play number 10. What's number 10? Oh, it's a free roll. <laughs> I'll play number 9. I'll play down the middle. You cross the ball and I'll put the ball in the box. At the end of the season, you tell me, you ask me how many goals I scored, I'll tell you I scored 20 plus. If you don't score 20 plus, you ask the question why. That's goal scores. That's goal scores. That's centre forwards. Do you know what I mean? And there, there's a few and a far between that you ask. You get a good, you get a good partnership with someone that, that you know is going to assist you and you're going to assist them. All of a sudden it clicks and come the end of the season, I have 20, Bill has 28. Do you know what I mean? I'm not dark. When when I signed, well, I'm, I'm from that Tramia game, I knew Bill had six goals. I'm sure it's around six goals for the Tramia game. He scored the two. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he had four before your partnership started. Yeah, that's what I mean. He ended up, I think it was 27, 28. I never took no pens. He took the pens. I played. And between us, I think if you looked at it, I had 20 at the end. I think Bill had 23 before I, do you know what I mean? 22, 23 before I'd So, so it is massive. Mm-hmm. It is massive. And so, But that one just clicked. Because it was never, I'm going to be this, he's going to be that. It just, I'll work for you, you work for me. And and we were delighted on both fronts. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll talk about a bit more of the squad in just a minute. Just before we go there, it's, I do want to talk about the full debut. Because from a fan's perspective, in the build-up to that Carlisle away game, it was being built that you were probably going to start. They were sort of edging the notion that you were going to start the game. Carlisle, bless them, they had bad weather and they worked hard to get that game on. And then I always right. remember it because I was working in retail at HMV that day and I used to sort of sneak by and always check the updates on my phone. And what, three, four minutes in? Austin, yeah. unbelievable. So, so we go. So we played, we play Reading. Fine, brilliant. Play Tramia. With a week's training, everything's going okay. Fine. We leave to go to Carlow on a Friday morning. We haven't trained, we leave. So we go to Bolton and train. Danny Wilson, you know when he's doing shape, because Danny Wilson, you bring a black book. So day before a game, a shape, Thursday shape. Anyway, all of a sudden, he just gets everyone together and names the team. Up front, Billy, Charlie. I was thinking, what? Oh, I was like shocked. Do you know what I mean? I was shocked. What's going on there? Train, did the shape, and everything was fine. We're on the way up to Carlisle. I, tr- I shared a room with Michael Timlin. Um, my parents come up from Bournemouth. They come up to Carlisle. Uh, we flew up to Newcastle and obviously come across to, to Carlisle. I'm saying, Dad, I'm on the phone to my dad in the evening. I said, Dad, this ain't going to be on. Like, on the news, half the pitch is flooded. How oh, you couldn't make this up. I'm going to start this window. And the game's going to be cancelled. This is, what's going on? He said, no, just trust me. Just, it'll be fine. But wake up the next day. Wake up the next day. Game's on us. Brilliant. I get in the, I'm in the change room. I'm starting it. This is now do the team talk. And the boys are like, look, you'd be all right. Don't worry. Like, size given to me. Like, don't, don't panic. Sorry, piss off. What do you, what do you mean? I'm, I'm 20, 20 years old. Like, like come to Lee. You come to Celtic, idiot. Do you know what I mean? It's one of them. Gets out there. Do the warm up. Yeah, do you know what? Fine, no worries. Game kicks off. End, 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 end. All of a sudden, we have the ball. JP has the ball, gets blocked, comes back to him. All I remember is he passes it to Billy. And as Bill goes to cross it, he doesn't cross it to the front post. Yes, he just crosses it just back of the penalty spot. I remember running forward, stunning it with, with one, going down, and banging it on, the, on like a bit of like a half volley bit of such, and it flies in the opposite corner. I just remember looking, seeing where it was going. I don't even see the ball hit in the net. I just And that was it. I just remember running to Bill and JP and just think, 
this is incredible. What is going on here? This is ing-. the emotion went for probably about 15 minutes. I remember looking at the clock. It was only as, there was, I think it was about 18, 90 minutes gone, and I was thinking, <gasps> someone bring me some oxygen. Do you know what I mean? Like the, I was running on a little bit of empty. Then the second wind kicked in. I went to the at the half, and I think I got subbed about 53, 54 minutes at the time. And I think that was what I'd done for about six or seven games. Got substituted at the time at that bit, and it was just incredible. You couldn't, you couldn't make it up. I'd have gone from non-league to the football league, uh, league one, which was. was and I've scored after three minutes. If you could write it with that little boy that played in the playground to what it was, that was it, you know, and it was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah, you've made it tough for pretty much every sort of lower league player we've signed since because Charlie Austin's or the sort of the strike rate of a Charlie Austin doesn't come around too often. So, for example, we had Jermaine Hilton a few years later who came over from Redditch, I believe, and you kind of like you're hoping it's a Charlie Austin. And if it doesn't work out or if they don't hit the ground running, football fans can be quite unforgiving, as you know only too well. And, it, and, it's, and it's, um, it's a great shame for them to have that sort of pressure. But that's football, isn't it? That is football. And I think, do you know what it is? They come from non-league. They come, they get a bit overall. And the way the way it's gone now, that that is, that's just the way they come and get overall. If it doesn't happen, they're not, I always, I think you've got to go in confident. You have to go in confident because if you don't, it's very easy to get washed under the carpet and pushed to the back end. You know, I knew as soon as we did shooting or did small sort of games, I think, right, I'll have a chance, I'll score. Then all of a sudden, they think, he don't, like I said earlier, like he don't miss. He don't miss him, saying, like he don't, he don't miss kind of thing. But if you come over a bit short, sharp, then, because I know for a fact when I was at Swindon, when I come the other, when I come the following year, when the new players come, they're thinking, they know about me, I, I need to show them. Like, they're not coming to take my place, no way. Do you know what I mean? I'm, they're not coming to take my place. I'm here. I'm here to stay. I'm here to play centre forward for these. You can play second fiddle to me. It don't matter, matter to me. I'm I'm the person, you know. And, I, and that's what I mean. With non-league, you have to come in with a bit of a character because if you don't, your 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 talent and your everything can only get you so far. And that extra bit you, you need, and that's about character. You can catch it. It's another one. And gets it. It's Charlie Austin. Charlton Athletic taken apart on their own pitch. Let's have a look at the rest of the squad now. Um, one of the things that previous guest Simon Ferry, Phil Smith, I don't know if Billy Bowden talked about this squad because he came in really in the second year, but he's around at this point. But what they all talk about, about your first season at the club, is the dressing room is as good as a dressing room as they've ever experienced in football, and that remains to this day. Let's go through the squad, and we'll start with the goalkeepers. David Lucas, Phil Smith, Jacob Jesinkowski, and Mark Scott. Yeah, so that I used to get changed get next to Dave every day, uh, top goalkeeper. It, he was very, he was someone that was big character, come play for the bigger clubs, you know what I mean, like, like Leeds as such. He was... Um, he was very active, probably one of the bigger characters for the dressing room. And if anything, he felt anything was down as such, he would he would voice his opinion, especially in the first year. Phil knew he was obviously the, the second choice goalkeeper. However, Phil was very good. I remember from I do remember once I nearly powered him in the face one day in training, smacked the ball shooting. I was in trial at the time. He saved it. Nowadays, if you shoot the goal, he saves it. Just I'll pick it up. But I was in trial thinking, no way. I'm going to make sure they see me at the back of net. I like the ball. He said it come back. I this absolute rocket on the volley. It must have went past his face. 
straight back in it. If it hit him in the face, ah, oh, he'd have been KO'd. He just looked at me, give me the goalkeeper stare. I was thinking, shit, he ain't happy here. I thought, oh, never mind. If they don't take me, fuck him, I ain't going to see him again. Do you know what I mean? Jakob, I didn't, he was a Polish goalie that it was one of them. I don't, he was there because he was probably Polish and that was it. And then Mark Scott actually was uh, come for the academy. He was a very good goalkeeper. But goalies is only one position, ain't there? Do you know what I mean? And unless you get your opportunity, it's not going to happen for you. I have enjoyed every episode that I've recorded. But Phil Smith's, he, I think he was brilliant when he when he when he talked to me. He was he was really really honest and. I think, really yeah, I, I think, and the reason why it was because he was second choice. He was second choice keeper, but when he got relied on, he was there, so no one could say anything to him. Mm-hmm. And everyone knows what night I'm talking about now at the start of the interview. Do you know what I mean? So. Everybody knows that night, it doesn't matter what he did before that night, mm. he's known for, for the night at the Valley, so so that that is that. Yeah. Um, defenders, we'll do it in two halves. So the first half, we've got Scott Cuthbert, Gordon Greer, Alan Sheehan, Sean Morrison and Kevin Amankwa. A pretty good selection of players right there. Yeah, big Kev. So Kev was then... Big Kev played right back. Very good for Big... A lot about himself, massive character. But when you got to speak to him one on one, he was he was someone that I really enjoyed. made me laugh all the time. He, at the time, he thought he was Giggs, the Giggs the singer, not Giggs the left winger that did the stiff overs. You know what I mean? So that was that was kind of a lot of time for him. Then you had Scotty and Gordon, both Scotty centre halves. Scotty, absolute lovely fella. Lovely fella. You could tell he was just coming into his the start of his real career. Do you know, as much as I was coming to the start, you knew Scotty was had come from a club and he, he was probably looking at this to be not a stepping stone as such. No, that's the wrong word. Where he'd cement roots, I'd say. Do you know what I mean? Somewhere he could go and play 30, 40 games for the season and the following and the following, you know? Mm. Gordon was our captain and Oh, I listened to Sai's interview with you. Do you know what I mean? You go across the white line, he was one. You go across and you come back off it, he was a different one. But that was the same as training. I'll get on later. When Frank Noble, later on in that season, he come to us, he used to try and kick lumps out of Frank Noble every single day. It, that was him. When he came across that white line, he was a winner. He was our captain. He was our. He was someone that we followed. Do you know what I mean? And that was and that. Was that. Mm-hmm. Sean Morrison... Morrow was two years. I still speak to Morrow to this day. He was two young, two years younger than me. Mass, you could see he had potential. Uh, you you see, he was just waiting in the wind for for what happened. And he was just waiting for that opportunity to come, and it, unfortunately, in that season, it never did. Oh, I did, and I mean it's by the way when we when, remember we played MK Don's away, got beat two one. He give the ball away to Aaron Wilhelm straight away. Mm. I still just that still this now when we talk about it, that wasn't his opportunity. Danny Wilson had his eleven, and when we went on that run from from November to the end of the season, and that was it. So I, I don't think even if Sean kept the clean sheet that day, it wouldn't have uh, it wouldn't have mattered. Alan Sheehan come in on loan, left back. Do you know what he he brought a character with him that was very that lightened the group. Probably what was needed, and and to this day, like you say, everybody goes on about that changing room. Everybody needed like an Alan Sheehan character. Do you know what I mean? Because he was funny, he lightened the mood for everything. The rest of the team, I think Hasni Al Joffrey was still there for a little while while you joined Callum Kennedy, uh yeah. Lechanel Jean Francois, uh Stephen Darby at the end of the season and Nathan Thompson and maybe Kasali Yunka Kasar, was he there still? Yes, and he left 
Yinka. So Yinka left in the January. Hasney left in the January. Darbs come. I th- I'm not sure. Did Darbs come in the January? I'm not too sure. Maybe a bit Maybe. later. Maybe yeah. Well, Darbs. Darbs come. Fantastic character. And he was. He just brought something different. Wardy come at the time. He brought something different. That from the Liverpool big club, but he was young and he and he just bought into what Swindon was. He never come with no arrogance or anything like that. He just wanted to be involved with everyone. Um, Hasley was at the back end of his career and kind of just, he was part of the football club. He just fizzled out and that was the end of him, you know. So Lexi was there, big Lexi. I actually had a lot of time for Lexi. He was a, he was a funny character in his way. He was a funny character. Um, but like I say, with Danny Wilson, he had his team and he stuck with them and that was that. Midfield, loads yeah. of really popular names here. We'll start with the first four, one you've already meant, well, a couple you've already mentioned. So you've got Jonathan Douglas, John Paul McGovern, Craig Easton and Michael Timlin. JP was a striker's dream. That's why me and Bill scored our goals. He used to get the ball wide right, have a touch, look up where he was. I'd whip it to the front post or to the middle of the goal and me and Bill was there. Um, his delivery was perfect. We worked on it in training. We knew where we was going to run. He knew where to place the ball. He, he was very, very good. And like I say, he was probably one of the strikers. You'd want him on the on your team in the five-a-sides, the 11-a-sides, and on a Saturday when you're playing for him. You knew if you made the run. The, the best standout goal for me playing for him, we beat we beat Leeds 3-0 on the Saturday, played Tranmere on the Monday. JP got the ball on the halfway line. He must hit a 40-yard pass straight forward. I ran. I didn't even break stride. The goalie's coming towards me. I have a touch around him and roll it in the net. And that was the connection I had with JP. Do you know what I mean? I made the run, he'd pass the ball. So for a centre forward, it was perfect. Dougie and Sy. Now, Dougie and Sy had like a... They they was very similar partnership as me and Bill in the midfield-wise. Do you know what I mean? They, they worked together. One did one thing, one did the other. One was out of position, the other one was there. But off the pitch in 2009-2010, their characters actually just standed out for everybody. And Sy come very... Over the top was like the centre of tension, etc. Cetera, et cetera, where Doug, as much as Doug was a small character, like a small, uh, not a small character, as such, but went under the radar. He was a big personality. You know, he had a big persona, mm. and, and that's what obviously stood out, stood out a lot. And he he controlled controlled things from the middle with, with both of them. And of course, there was um, Craig. E- I was I love Craig, e- Craig Easton when yeah. when he was at Swindon. He was nearer to the tail end of of yeah. for want of a better phrase of his importance within the squad. But I thought he was really really useful. Yeah, East Easton was obviously there. And do you know what? You need you need players. Everybody needs like lower, lower end. I mean, I mean that with respect a Craig Easton in their team. Do you know what I mean? Because you need players that when when it, when he's called upon, whether there's an injury or, or a suspension, says you know for a fact you. You can't fault him for what he's going to do. You know he's going to come on the pitch and give you a hundred percent, regardless of whether he's played forty games this season or he's played. He's been part of two. You know. Other midfielders we had there. So I think Anthony McNamee was still um, there just about before we went to Norwich. We had Alan O'Brien, um, Lloyd Macklin was there, Mark Marshall, Kurt Hammonds, and we've already mentioned Cy Ferry as well. Yeah, like you had Lloyd and Kurt and Kurt, for example. Was, Unfortunately, with his knee, you know, he had he had a couple of bad injuries, and he never actually played at all when I was there. I think I had about a handful of training sessions with Kurt at the time, and everybody had a massive, a massive reputation of him. I think he came through the, the academy, the school of at the time, with a big reputation. But 
foot, if you get injured in football, football waits for nobody, you know. And unfortunately, he he was probably one of the sufferers of that. And me was there for a little bit, and then obviously went on to Norwich, and I never really played much with him either. Lloyd Macklin, he would come through. Obviously, the, the school of excellence is such, and it it never really happened for him at the time. It never really happened with Lloyd, and and that was it really. Alan O'Brien was there. He played bit bit part bit part, but he cut again. He come from his pedigree that he come from behind Hibernian Newcastle do you know what I mean it was like if this guy turns up on his day no one can stop him he was that quick nobody could stop him we also had um, Alex Henshaw coming through who was about you know seemed about about 11 years old but was was he training with the first team at all at that stage I trained with Alex probably two or three times and that was it and that was it and that was around the FA Cup third round time against Fulham he trained in the week because obviously January, and I think a lot of talk would come about him obviously going to the Premier League clubs, and that was it. So I never, I never actually see a lot of Alex at the time. I think he may have been about 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Forwards, we've talked about Ben, um, we've mentioned Lee, we've mentioned Billy, um, Topi, um, and Alex as well, but there was also Vincent Pericard, Frank Nuble, and of course Danny Ward. Yeah, it's a big ward. Like, it's, it's mad. We, we've talked to, we talked about Wardy being the, the centre. Let's talk about Wardy first. Like, he's a good friend of mine still to this day. Um, you talk about Wardy being the centre forward, but he actually wasn't. You look back and you played left. He played left of the four. You needed Danny Ward in your team, but you needed me and Bill to play down the middle. But you need to make a position. And we never actually, if you look for it, we never actually had a solid left left winger. It, uh, if you take Dan out of the situation, we never had someone say, right, you took his, he took someone's place. Because he actually never. You went through it. You had Dave and Goal, Kev right back, Scott and Gordon. Al played left, but then Darbs obviously played right back, didn't he, as such, and left back. So it was like a switch of the three. Yeah, JP on the right, Cy and Dougie. But we never really had a standout left midfielder. Me and Bill played up front. So that was like perfect for Dan. So obviously Danny Wood played on the left. It was. It was. It just worked. Do you know what I mean? It come there and it worked. He knew he probably wasn't going to play instead of me and me and Bill down the middle, and then played on. He played on the left, but he he was he was brilliant. He come from Bolton. He was 18 years old. He bought into everything. He loved he loved the crap of all the lads, and it just worked. Like I said, it was such an easy dressing room for for any from someone to come from the Premier League, like Wardy, and someone like myself to come from non-league. To both in exactly the same. It, it spoke volumes for the dressing room that, that we had, yeah. I couldn't cope in, in a sporting team when it comes to sort of jokes and what they call nowadays banter. I just crumble and end up doing something far yeah, worse. But what was it like? Dressing room's got me. You've got to be, you've got to, uh, be thick-skinned, you know what I mean? If someone comes to you, you have to stand up for yourself. And it was, and, and that was the way, that was that dressing room, you know? If something happened, it never... Nah, Nothing got ever brushed on the cup. It was never anything serious where you come to fistcuffs or anything like that. Do you know what I mean? It was always everything was a laughing matter, you know. But it was just great. It was great fun from from the oldest in the team to the youngsters that had, had character with them. Just thought, right, I don't know, I'm not going to take. You're not going to be able to take me on. I'm, you're going to get a bit back. It, it was just to and fro between the youngsters and the old ones. But we stayed together as a group. There was no, never no divide in the 2009-2010 dressing room. And what was your what was your relationship like throughout your town career with Danny Wilson? Brilliant. So I'd gone through the time. I'd got to January. I think at the time at January, I think it may have been about 
I'd scored 10. I was very fortunate. I think I'd scored 10, maybe 11. I'm not too sure. It was, it was similar to that. Anyway, when I signed the new deal, and I remember going in to see him, uh, he he said, Charlie, look, going to offer you, look to offer you a new deal. And I, I was like, yeah, brilliant. He's like to speak to my agent. I had an agent at the time, which is still my agent now. He's my best friend. He's my was my best man at my wedding. He's still my agent. He was at he was only twenty three. You know, oh, you've got an agent now. Have you like you when you remember when you signed here? Like you never had one of them. I said, no, no. Like he's twenty twenty three. He's, he's from Liverpool. Like it's, it was one of them. He's met my dad. He's yeah, yeah, fine. So he come met uh, Andrew Fitton at the time, Danny Wilson, and we signed the deal. And I just remember him always from the from that first bit just saying to me make sure it's all for you make sure everything's fine and and he was he was first class for me and like I said to you at the start of the interview he he never put no no pressure on me he didn't put no pressure on me from day one him to be fair him Peter Shirtlift George Wood who's a goalie coach and the chairman himself they never put no pressure on me it's a grand old team to play for. It's a grand old team to see. You know the history. It's get back to the season then so it's almost a crime really that we didn't go up that year especially when you consider how great we were up until early april the strong the home straight especially you could go through the whole t- you could go through the whole season let's have a turn turn through we go through january we're going okay we play come the back end of january we're playing in front of, i think maybe nine ten thousand leads on a tuesday night dick them three nil when the ball come for me i score at the town ta- at the not the town at the stratton bank end make it one nil we got the other end I get the penalty, Bill scores, and then Alan Sheehan whips onto the front post and Bill scores the header. We beat them three now. We stuff them out of the park. And I think that was a night I truly believe when fans left, when fans left that night, they thought, we don't, as much as we think it, no, we don't want to speak out loud. Something's going on at the club at the moment. Now, we don't really know what, but there's you can't, we can't take leads on at the county ground on a, on a wet Tuesday night, back end of January, and dick them three now. Do you know what I mean? So that was it. And I think that was the night when we was in the changing room thinking, well, we've got a bit of belief then. And all the way, I truly believe, from then to the Saturday, 3 p.m. before we played Colchester, I thought that was it. I truly thought that was it. I think you're absolutely spot on from a, from a fan's perspective because for Swindon fans, when you see Leeds home or away or Charlton or Brighton or Norwich or Southampton, yeah. you... you Swindon fat teams of old always seem to give those sides too much respect and you knew that no matter what, there was a classic example where we lost to Leeds a year or two before 1-0, they had Alan Sheehan sent off early on and then we, we lost to a goalie error by Phil, uh, as we talked about in in, in his episode, but that, inca- that, that wasn't, we didn't lose that because it was Phil's fault, we lost it because it just encapsulated Swindon Town against these bigger clubs, we always used to seem to just relax, but... I mean, Brighton, Southampton, Leeds, all done. And let's talk about Southampton at St. Mary's that year because they're a huge club. They're an hour from Poole, um, yeah. not too far away from Bournemouth, uh, just going across the New Forest. Um, this is where I need to highlight that 
because you know I don't want to talk about that sort of yeah, rise, yeah. but yeah. Paul Town to to Southampton in a oh unbelievable twenty thousand plus amazing. It was incredible to play the time. Did we play? Why do I think we played Brighton before Southampton? I think we I think we had yeah. So we go to Southampton midweek. Mid I think it was Paddy's day at the time. I think it was the first, I actually remember it because it was the first it was the first day of the Cheltenham Festival and Binocular won the Champion Hurdle. That's the only, that's the reason why I meant I remember it right. So we go to we go to Chel- we go down to Southampton. So I think twenty thousand people was there midnight and they battered us. We had the blue kit on. They battered us. Um, I think Phil was in goal. I think Phil might have been in goal that night. I'm not percent sure. I think he was in goal that night. I missed a chance just before half time, dragged it wide, and that was it. We think right, got in at half time, lovely, nil nil. Anyway, second half come and Dan Wardy played me in. I'd just gone through and the keeper just come through. I'd done it. It was just pure instinct, I guess. Just thought, right, I'll just whip it around one side, roll it in. I didn't realise how close I got to the goal, rolled it in the empty net. You imagine playing for a team that was 30, 40 miles down the road at Pool Town against Southampton for a team that was 15 miles away from where I grew up in that small town of Hungerford. It all had, everybody had like an interlink. And I remember to the day, Alan Pardew going mad to his people, to his, how did we miss this lad? He played for a team down the road. How did we miss him? Why have we not signed him? And that was it. You play at St. Mary's, that holds 32,000 fans. We go down there on a Tuesday, a wet Tuesday night and beat him 1-0. It was it was fantastic for the dressing room. You know? And then of course there was Leeds away. The one the I mean from fans side again it was the the best result of that. You're going to Ellen Road, absolutely as you would say, dick them. Um, yeah. Twenty seven thousand plus. And I mean I I followed that from a bar in in Newcastle and I just had my hands on my head and I I could not believe what I was seeing. And I think that was the day. Even though it was quite late on in that run. That was the day where I bought into it and thought we're doing this. You know, we go to Leeds and we beat them 3 0. Bill scores the first half. I think JP crosses the ball and Bill after does like a bit of a scissor, half scissor kick, does it bouncing again in the top corner. You're thinking, this is meant a 1 0 at half time. Brilliant. Come out the second half, their fans are up for it. The Leeds fans are up for it. Ball comes to Bill, just half a turn touch and, and it takes like a ricochet off, off the back of someone, but it doesn't go anywhere. It just kind of loops up over and goes in the top corner. You're thinking, we're 2 0 at Leeds here. Like you say, that many fans there. No, everyone's thinking, this is mental. Small little Swindon, 2-0. Can't do it again, surely. Anyway, about five minutes later, the ball goes down the right-hand side of the box. It cuts back to Bill from Stephen Darby. He chops it into me. I'm six yards out of a free header. We're 3-0 up away from Leeds. This is incredible. You're just thinking, we're at Leeds. We've just done them 3-0 three months ago. We're about to do them 3-0 again. And whistle goes. And you're just thinking, oh, this is on. No, I don't think... We, we was a bit like a... We was a bit like a small, small rocket that was just ploughing through anybody that was in our way. No one looked like stopping us. And they didn't. We'd come off the pitch at uh, Leeds, 3-0 up, up, thinking, it's on here. It's on here. This, this, I think that's it. We, we, we never spoke about it. That is one thing. Let's get it straight. We never once spoke about, because after the tram again, we go on a little bit of a wobble like, but we never we never spoke about it. Don't get me wrong, the lads were looking at the table, but we never spoke about it as a dressing room. What do you think happened to that rocket after, I think we win a, a game after Leeds and then it, it splutters. We don't lose every game, but we just drop points here and there. What, what, was it just momentum ended? Was it retired or was it just... I think it's momentum. Every team goes through momentum. You look at Aston Villa this year, they go through momentum. I think we're looking at the back end of March. They're 14. All of a sudden, they win 14 games in the bounce. 
15 games here at Wembley. After the 15th game, the final whistle goes in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, we've gone from playing through the Jan- through January all the way to Tramway on the Monday and the Bank Holiday Monday of April. And it, it do you know what I mean? We beat them 3 0. And then I think it's it kind of just filters a little bit down. We kind of, well, the wheels come off because it didn't come off because if they come off, we'd, been, we'd have gone. Do you know what I mean? They didn't. We played Exeter on the telly, one all. We, we was poor that night on a Monday night. We go to Colchester, we get a doing 3 0 there. And it was that we was poor that that day. We was we was crap. Do you know what I mean? We was crap that day, get done 3 0. We play Walsall at home. We draw one all. If you look at, I still remember the goal. Now it comes from the goal kick. It goes to Scotty. He messes about the ball. The lad plays it. He squares it, and it's one nil. I I score just after half time to make it one one. We drop points there. We go to Wickham the following. We drew two two there. I missed the header from about the middle of the goal that should have went in. One I had a goal disallowed. We should have won the game, and that's just going off there. We draw three games. Draw three games, get three points. Well, that ain't the best. We'd rather just you'd rather lose one and win the both. Do you know what I mean? And then we come to the last game of the season, we're two points behind. So if you just think we won the two games there and, and lost one, we're in the last game of the season. We're in we're in second place, you know. And and like I say, we go to Millwall the last game of the season, it and everybody could have got promoted from from fifth to second, you know. Before we go into the playoffs, what what were your personal standout memories from from the season thus far at that at that stage? Where are, we going, where are we going from this? We're talking from the start of the season, from when I started to before the playoffs, I had eight, 18 Football League goals. I was in every paper goal and it was like a Roy the Rovers kind of stuff as everybody kept going on about. I played, I grew up in a, in a town 15 miles away from, from Swindon. My mates were Swindon fans. I was living their dream. I felt like I was living most of the fans' dream, you know, because I was a local boy and it actually come back to bite me in the arse and we'll talk about that later on as, as such, you know, but it it was incredible. I was my parents come, my mates was coming week in week out. I was scoring goals in the football league. It was it was it was brilliant. It was it was brilliant. The first leg is a modern classic for the county ground. Summer night, floodlights, nice weather, great crowd. Two one win. Goals from yourself and Danny Ward. It's even for us watching from afar. We even had Martin Tyler commentating, which made it that little bit more. Uh, it added to the standard, the quality of of the evening. I'm sure you agree when I say that we should have been out of sight really after after the county ground game. I should have scored a hat trick after ten minutes. Um, yeah, you're nodding like you fucking agree. <laughs> I agree. Listen, yeah. <laughs> I remember the first start, JP chopped back, cross one was left foot, I was in the middle of, middle of the goal, and I marked me, I just had I'd strike his thing, just turned me head to head it in, and unfortunately, he had to go half a yard to the right, half a yard of the thing, score, Randolph made the good save. Next thing, JP digs a cross out from, from the byline, I just kind of head it, just get, and he flicks it away, and I think I, I messed up another chance before, and after 10 minutes, you're thinking, this is the playoffs, like, you can't, how many chances do you want after 10 minutes? We was we was on top. We was on top first half. We were, we was good. Do you know what I mean? First half going going at half time. Danny Wilson just said, "Look, don't panic. What are you panic for? It's playoffs. Just, it's you enjoy yourself. That was it. Come out second half. It was after about fifty two minutes. Bailey gets up on the left hand side, chops in the right foot. It's an absolute worldie. It's supposed. Oh, we're not one nil down. Out. Don't go into this. Dale really don't know. Comes out. Bang it clear. Fine. Ball breaks. Goes into me. I actually play it to over to Alan O'Brien he lays Sheehan and he has a bounce 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 cross it and I jump above Borrowdale and add it in 1-0 even to this 
like when I remember back, the, I can just if I shut my eyes, I can visualise everything that happened. The celebration when the camera goes back to Danny Wilson to score. I mean, I must have. I've gone through the goal about a hundred times. I watched the goal about a hundred times. Do you know what I mean? It was the playoffs. Um, it was incredible. Then, then we we were all over them. Then obviously Wardy scores and we go on the break. And I, I like I listened to Cy when I was away in the summer. He said if me and Bill was in front of him, we'd never pass. But because Wardy was in front of him, he passed it to him. Do you know what I mean? And then uh, he passed it to Wardy and touched bang. And that was it. Made it 2-0. Two, two and even they scored a crap goal. Big clearance. Dave probably should have stayed in his line, but I'm not a goalkeeper, so I couldn't tell you how to play in goal. He comes out, tries to punch it, and Burton scores, and it, and it gives him a big lifeline, you know. So we're 2-0 up. We're 2-0 up and cruising. All of a sudden, it's 2-1. Whistle goes. Even not before the whistle goes, Vince Perricard is supposed, doesn't he, about the 89th minute, probably should bang. So as Swindon fans and players, it's actually thinking, fuck, maybe we should be winning five. We should have won this game 5-1. And that's not being ridiculous. That's being honest. Mm -hmm. Charlie could have scored more. Vince should have scored at the end. They scored a shit goal. And and, and that was it. And that was the first leg we go 2-1. I think that was a big moment for Vince. Um, Had he scored that, it's one of those things where you think what could have been when he got there. And even Danny missed one at at 2-1 as well. But it was if if the first leg was a modern classic, then the second leg was the the great escape. Um, how on earth did we get through that? Oh, I don't know. Like, I, do you know what it was? So Swindon went through a stage playing the music, right? Playing music, obviously beforehand. And with the Black Eyed Peas, night's gonna be a good night. Tonight's gonna be a good night. Right? That was the song. I remember being lined up at the thingy, and, and Swindon actually played the song maybe four or five times before the back end of the city. And that was kind of turned into a bit of our song. Then at the Valley, they played the song and then they played Bob Bob about the Robin song, Rockin' Robin. And we're thinking, hang on a minute. They're playing a song for us here. And we was actually full up for it. Bill was half fit, probably three quarters fit because of he missed the first leg, didn't he? Probably shouldn't have played in the second. He probably shouldn't have played in the second leg, but as a football, you, 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 want, you want to be involved in the big games. It was just, it was one of them. And if Bill could score you a goal, you needed them on the pitch. He gets into the game. All of a sudden, ball goes up and Dave goes down. We're making a sub after four minutes. Phil comes on, makes a couple of saves. That ball was probably going wide as such. But he, he like, again, I don't reiterate, I don't play in goal, so you couldn't tell anyone, could you? And then side scores his own goal. That's horrific. That's horrific. All right, mate, boy's coming in behind him, but he hooked it in the roof of the net, the idiot. So we one down. Then Dave Mooney scores a very, very good goal, makes it 2-0, and you're thinking, shit, we're done here. We can't do it. We're in the dressing room. Art, but like, you know what I mean? With Ed's, Ed's on a lot laps, devastated. Danny Wilson coming again and just said, lads, just need a goal. Let's just get a goal. What are you, what are you down for? Do you know what I mean? And that was him. And same with Peter Shirt and George. Come on, lads, just need a goal. Everyone had their own little individual chats. We've gone out second half. About six minutes, balls bounce. Gordon, bang. Nails Dion Burton red card. You think we're too luck. Ten man, what is going on here? You know, as lads made the subs, you think, oh, right, that's it. Shit or bust. What we're going to do? Rather get beat three or four than go down like this. We was fortunate. We were very in it. We was right in it, as you say. And if the referee'd seen the foul on Danny Ward outside the dugout before he actually breaks free, then he actually blows the whistle, gives a free kick on the halfway line and don't let play go. He actually let it go. And JP misses a shot. They could definitely give a free kick for. Something happened. Daly stops and so does Randolph and Dan rolls it through his legs and it's 2-1 and it's it's game on. It is game on. Kev bangs the ball up to me and I get Lira sent off just before, before the end of the game. 
you're not a goalkeeper, so you're not going to tell a goalkeeper how how to do their job, and you're not a defender, so you're not going to you're not going to tell a defender how to their, do their job. But did did anyone ask Gordon what the hell was he thinking when he did that to Dion Burton? Who's the captain? Fuck that. Who's <laughs> the captain, mate? You know what I mean? Just left him to it. That was him. That was him. That was him. I was delighted just to be the centre forward for his team, not against him. Fair enough. Okay, so extra time comes and goes, and it's a penalty shootout. And as I've as I've discussed with Phil um, recently and to Simon as well, it's it's a fantastic penalty shootout because other than Bailey's miss, all of Charlton's are absolute world class penalties. And maybe it's because I'm a Swindon fan, but it seems that we cough and splutter through ours. JP McGovern's looks like it's it's like. <laughs> I read this. I listened when I listened to you say, Phil. I promise you, Jay whips is in. It's been a failure. Now. I whips it straight on the inside of the right post, and I heard saying, "Phil, oh no, he's like scuffed it in." Boom! I safe as ours is. He was never missing. <laughs> I think it's the angle from watching on TV. It looks like he's sort of hit it with his heel, and it's just it's just oh. gone that way. I'm going to stand by that though. Um, and that's and... fine. <laughs> And Kevin and Manqua, Kevin Manqua, and I've, I've said this several times over the year that I've been doing this, where when a player who doesn't score goal steps up, I'm already, I'm, I'm chucking my drink in the end going, well, this is bollocks, this is it, this is over. And his roar when he scores, beautiful. Yeah. Now give it to him. I took a shit penalty. I rolled it down the middle. I think it my eight. It was so delighted it came in. I was so delighted, obviously, it went in, especially after Bailey just missed, you know what I mean? Burton scores, JP scores bangs is up in the clouds I'm thinking shit I'm about to make this 2-1 to us Rock. I have done roll it down the middle I can't just fucking hit it down the middle it goes in brilliant then it just goes a goal fest their penalties are a joke Daly bangs it in there Foster whips his up Richardson bangs it in the thingy you're thinking oh my lord Wardy whips his the opposite side and then Darbs obviously steps up and to this day if you look if any Swindon fans have got it anywhere the camera goes back to Darbs he puts the ball down comes back just look at his face look at his eyes he gives it one look to the left. Well, so camera's on him. He's looking at the goalkeeper and he just looks to the left. Boom, sells me. And to this day, I just think, he sold the keeper that way, banged it in that one, and, and, and that was it. It was just, as soon as that went, it was like, fucking hell. I played my first game against New Milton in front of 80 people. I'm about to go to Wembley in a playoff final. Eight months later, with your penalty, I've always wanted to just double check with you on this because, as you can see, you've summed it up quite well—the actual scoring of goal. But when you step up, you look like you're hobbling, you look hurt, you look worried, and then and then when you when you run away, it looks like you would. I always like to think that you were pretending that you were sort of hobbled and worried, and it was just like oh, a facade. But it sounds like you just relieved that you took a bad penalty. Let's go with that one. The odd thing that. It was all just relief. I let nobody down. I took a shit panel. It's gone in, but fuck it. All the relief. It's gone in. My job's done. Now come on, Phil. Save a couple of pens in there. Let's go in. He never got near one. <laughs> a couple, a couple of other things that I love from that penalty shootout because. You know, I'm a Swindon fan, so I've watched it probably more times than I, than than I should um, admit. And I always love watching like the the camera cut to the uh, to the guys in the middle because you've got Jonathan Douglas, who's like he's captain at that point probably, and he's like going, "What a peno, what a peno!" And I just I just look at him thinking, "You just don't want to take one, mate. You don't want." Yeah. To... And Alan O'Brien looks absolutely yeah, shit himself. <laughs> Alan O'Brien goes shocking penalty when I score mine. You're looking at a shocking penalty, but that was it. Was one of them, and I I do believe that we was always going to win. Hmm. I couldn't even tell you who was sixth. 
to this day, I couldn't even tell you because we obviously didn't need the sixth or whatever. I couldn't tell you a six, but I think the lads not only had the belief in the boys that were taking the penalties, but had the belief in Phil. So mm. as much as Phil wasn't number one, we had belief in Phil in, in the middle of the sticks that if it come to it, he was going to make he was going to make the right choice and the right judgment. And all right, a couple of times he made the right decision to go that right way, but the penalties were too, were too good. Mm. And it, but he forced the error from Bailey, and, and that was it. So. And what was that? What was that changing room like after? And what was that journey home like? It was incredible. It was incredible on the way home. The journey and the dressing room after it was, it was unbelievable. Really, I remember going to the toilet on the bus a couple of times, having a piss, and then just looking in the mirror, thinking, "I'm, I'm going to Wembley. Yeah? This is incredible. Like this is, this is mental. I'm going to Wembley. This is, this is mad." And I'm getting back to Swindon. We have three or four days off. Um, a few of the lads went back up to Scotland. A few of them went abroad. I remember going back to Bournemouth like, to see the family and stuff and, and just spent time down there. It was just a, it was a surreal feeling because obviously the phone the phone at the time was going mad and then everybody wanted to know what I was doing and the story just got that extra bit bigger. Do you know what I mean? You've gone from, play, like I said earlier, play from New, against New Milton at the start of the season and then your last game of the season is going to be against Mill in front of 85,000. What were the preparations like in the build-up to Wembley? So we had the days off after the final, but you got to think that it was two weeks. We, didn't, we played on the Monday. We never had a final till the following Saturday. Mm. Uh, so we had the rest and play the game. We had the rest of the week off. We'd come in Monday and train like a, just a normal week, like it was a league game, but it was never a normal week because it was the playoffs. We went through stuff like we always would. We ne- it wasn't as much high tempo as such because you never wanted injuries. You want you needed everybody to be fighting fit, ready to go on, on the Saturday. So... It was all about just keeping everybody alive, keeping themselves ticking over, but maintaining the concentration of going to play in the playing on the Saturday in the final. So the final, seventy three thousand at Wembley, mostly Millwall fans. Um, I don't think we can begrudge Millwall for winning; they deserved it on the day. But I think out of all of Swindon's twenty first century failures at Wembley, this is the one where we could have probably scraped a win. Bobble aside. What do you yeah. think went wrong on on that on that day? They was better. Mm. There's no bullshit. There's no point beating around the bush, as you say. They was better than us. Probably better prepared. They got beat the year before against Scunthorpe three two. Probably they had players that been there before. Do you know what I mean? We only had two or three: Dougie, Dave, Sheens. Do you know what I mean? We didn't have a handful, you know. And, and nothing can prepare even to this day for me when I went got promoted for QPR. Nothing can prepare you for for the player final. You've got to have experience around you, and I just feel like. They had the legs, they had the experience, and that was it. And we unfortunately had a couple of missed chances and a big one for myself. Yeah, so the bubble. It, do you know what it was? I just, I, I still look back now, I was fucking devastated. Even to this day, I do, I'll tell you where I go with this. Ball goes to Robinson, he has this to me on the halfway line, bang, passing, and I've gone. I'm in on the go, I think this is one, this is one, I'm going to score at Wembley, it's incredible. I come just to open myself up as an Omri finish as we'd all watched as kids growing up through the 2000, what he'd done for Arsenal. And all of a sudden, this fucking ball bubbles up, hits me on the shit and goes like a fucking bullet straight past the post. And I was like, uh. I look at Swindon, behind the Swindon fans and I was just like, oh my God. What if I, like, do you know what I mean? I've just missed an absolute massive chunk. But I knew something was up because I, I had him, I was like, I don't miss from there. No way, he's get, he keeps getting that ball out of that net. Do you know what I mean? I knew something was up. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until after the game, do you know what I mean? When my phone was going mad, I met the chairman after, I met everybody, they're going mental about the pitch. The ball was obviously taking zipping in the shim. You go to the end of the game, 
The ball comes to me on the edge of the box, you have a touch and I shoot. Dave Ford makes a save, but I slip. He makes a save, it goes out for a corner. I'm adamant. I've said this many times. I'm adamant. If I score that, the goal to make it one all, that becomes a famous bubble. I score to make it 2-1 in the 89th minute and Swindon get promoted to, to the championship. And I'm adamant to this day that that is what would have happened. I'm adamant to this day. What's all that happened? It was one of those moments because I wasn't at that game, so I was watching it again in a in a solo with my yeah. now wife in in an empty pub in in Newcastle. And as I said to Phil, when that happened, I I went to leave, and my wife was like, "What are you doing? Just see it out. You never know what happens." And you just you just felt because at first you're like, "Oh, for Christ's sake, Charlie, come on! Yeah. You you scored them all de- all all season long." And then you watch that slow mo and how dramatically the ball bubbles as well it's not like little it's it's just in that one moment that you're pulling the trigger yeah and you think you mentioned being me so i think it's everybody you think well if i take a shot a yard before it don't make the bubble i just still whip it in yeah if you get after it bubbles up it bounces then i'll probably hit it on the side volley and it goes straight over him and it's scoring still one off but the thing is i take the shot and it's i guess it just wasn't meant to be Fairy tales are bollocks. It, you know, the, the media were telling me this was was this was destiny, and, and this yeah, fairy tale. Exactly. Yeah, and that was it. But unfortunately, it never fucking happened. And, <laughs> um, we we lost one there. Mm. We was the rightly winners, and 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 unfortunately, we all went home, and we was very very disappointed. Do you think Billy was fit to play there? I mean, we didn't have a huge amount of options, granted, but do you think he was fit? Yeah. I played at front with Bill all season long, and and I do I do believe he was fit. Bill come off probably about 60, 65 minutes. Mm-hmm. He had to play Bill as a top scorer. He's got twenty eight goals and for us all season. The ball dropped to him anywhere else. If we had a penalty for as such, he was going to be the person. You have to play the goals for us. You got to trust him. When you got, like say it didn't matter whether he had agreed to go to Leeds or that was in the pipeline as such. Bill was out there on on the pitch. He was next to me and and next to everybody else in the on that pitch for, for the team and for the dressing room and for Swindon Town Football Club that day, giving his all. I remember there were, you know, the more pessimistic element of a football fan was saying that, you know, Billy's heart wasn't in it because he knew he was getting this move anyway, but there's no way you put in that much work over a season and and then just go, well, I'm joining Leeds. So. Yeah, exactly. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen. Do you know, he, if Swindon get promoted, he still joins Leeds. He leaves a, he leaves a fucking hero, do you know what I mean? The only reason he didn't is that season because we never got promoted. Yeah. yeah. Was Was there any firm interest for you during that summer? No. Do you know what? I went away. I, I never had nothing. My agent was on the phone and such, but, but nothing, nothing at all. Right. Ah, there was a lot. Back into the thing, I could have went to Portsmouth, but not really could have went. They inquired, and that was it. Then Millwall inquired, and it was kind of like Swindon was never going to let me go, and I was just like. Oh. Fuck it, I'm gonna stay here. I enjoyed my summer, uh, and that was it. I was back to Swindon, and it was more like a fucking hell, mate. Like to myself, in September of last year, you'd play for Port Town, and then you signed for Swindon. Then the back end of it, come the end of May, you you played in front of like seven thousand at Swind- uh, uh, Wembley. Then someone's talking about selling you for a million, like, and then it doesn't happen. You don't get pissy. Just stay here and do what you can again, and 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 that's where I was fortunate that, that I did. Austin going.
somebody goes to Leeds, we also lose Gordon Greer to Brighton. That one, I mean, Billy's didn't hurt so much. We missed his goals. We're always going to miss his goals. He was great. He had three seasons with Swindon, and that was the season that he really sort of went crazy goals-wise. But because we knew he was going to Leeds, it was an un- it was it was the worst kept secret at the time. But Gordon Greer's exit hurt because uh, it seems so preventable when you lose your captain and your top scorer. Alarm bells, admittedly, for me, were beginning to ring at that point. Although we had your goals still, they were two massive losses. Yeah, on and off. Mm. On and off. You know, I think you know, anybody loses the cats in their football club, it's it's massive because he was good for the town. He was good for the fans. He was good for the football club. He was the he was the nucleus, do you know what I mean? He was the spiderweb, the start of the spiderweb, you know? Mm. And, and that was the very same as Bill in the dressing room. Any bullshit going on. Bill made sure it didn't happen. He was the he was the character that made everybody he was the glue kind of thing for everybody. So if you just knew, he had he had you. If you was an old person that had something to say and he didn't like it, he would make sure nothing do you know what I mean? There was no rumbling or anything like that. And that's again, that's why the 2009-2010 dressing room worked. They left and we never had we never had them characters. Dougie was a captain, but he was he wasn't a captain like Gordon Greer. And we never had nobody to replace Bill. Yeah, I mean, the squad, despite these two losses, and of course Danny Ward as well, he goes back from his loan, We, Danny Wilson keeps the squad pretty much intact. He brings in Sheehan and Ferry on permanence. Brilliant. In comes the experience of David Prutton and Michael Rose. We've got Promise in another Celtic lad called Paul Caddis, um, a wild card in Thomas DeSevi. So it, there's, there's still plenty of optimism at that stage. Definitely. Cad's come in from Celtic, you think he's just going to be like Sai, and which he was. That was that. Rosie come in, play left back. Good fellow, good characters, you know what I mean? But he, I got on really well with Rosie. We got, we got on well, me and him and JP and such. Pratt's come in, and it went to shit. His character was the opposite to Bill. Instead of him keeping everybody together, it was kind of, this is my way. You kind of try and buy into what I've got to say, because I am the most experienced in the dressing room. And the lads kind of fucked him off. Um, half the dressing room fucked him off, and it never worked. <laughs> and when a player gets annoyed by another player, is it is it do you talk it out, or do you just simmer and just turn into clicks and things like that, or...? That's why, that's why we would crap. If you turn to click, dressing room click, for grown men start acting like kids, and I, I was only a kid at the time, but you're part of it. Mm. Uh, and that's the way it is. Everybody goes into their shell, and their shell comes to clicks. I mean, I was close to JP, Kev, Rosie, you had our side, then you had the Leeds connection, you know what I mean? The Scottish lads were staying together. And instead of going out as a team, you'd go out in, in groups and you see each other. And it was just, it was pathetic. And that spoke volumes on the pitch while we were crap. Did Danny Wilson try and combat or try and cure this? Yeah, of course he did. Of course he did. But unfortunately, the the, the character, the lads that they brought in, never helped the help the team spirit. And they wasn't. We brought in more players than what we lost. But the players that we come in, we brought in more players than we lost. But we the players that we actually lost, their character stood head and shoulders above the players that we brought in. You know, mm. uh, and that was probably a fault of fault of the football club there. 
you have your first taste of pre-season. It's a pretty cool one. You have a nice trip to Austria. You play against Qatari side Al Sad and um, a German side Karlsruhe. I, I'm going to get that pronunciation wrong, um, who I remember being half decent in the 90s. What was that like for a first time? Because you've gone all over the world now with, with your clubs. It was mad at the time. I'd gone to Austria. It was nuts. I shared a room with Kev, Kevin Mankwa. We used to stay up and just play table tennis with me and Kev. Uh, and that was it. It was brilliant. You know, it was very good being in that environment. The food was shit and it's still shit to this day. You know what I mean, going on pre season, no one likes going pre season scrap. Uh, so we ran away training, but we used to train in Austria. And then next to the pitch we was training, they used to come and hand gliding off, off the mountains and land next to us. Thinking, this is where are we? Do you know what I mean? Where are we? Osterdad or something like that. Was. And we played the games. I remember Bill going, and I think at the start, Danny Wilson said, Well, Bill's gone. Who's going to take the penalty? I said, well, I'll take the penalty. He went, no, no, you won't. And he said, Vincent will take the penalties. But I think he said, Vincent will take the penalties. I think it was more like, uh, I, and to, to this day, now I understand. At the time, I was fucking raging. It was more like a belief. Do you know what I mean? Big pat on an arm round Vincent that way, saying, right, I, we get a penalty. You're going to score. You hadn't scored for us at the time. You're going to score for us. I'll give you the belief. This will be it. We get a penalty. You score. You'll then go on and score the goals kind of thing and we played the Qatari side at the start and it was what we actually get a penalty the first game and he scores and that was that and, it, and it, oh, unfortunately it never happened then we played the, the Swedish side and I think I scored two that day and we draw 3-3 three, three. it was it was good the experience was definitely there the going away but even then you unfortunately as a play it never had the same similarities as what it did say three or four months before Mm. The, the, the two people required to fill in the gap left by, by Billy was Vincent Pericard and Thomas De Sevi. Was this a fair task or was it was it tough from the start? They was on a hiding to nothing. They was never going to do it. Thomas was um, a funny character, but that's what he was. He wasn't someone that scored the goal. I think he scored two, didn't he, at the county ground but against Nottingham Forest. I think it was the, the, the week before the season started. All of a sudden, everyone's, all the fans in that stand think, fucking hell, we're sweet. We've got him. He's going to... But it never happened, you know. And it was probably the same as Vince. He was at the back end of his career and he was he was picking up what he did. Thomas it, was never a prolific goal scorer either, was he? Oh, of course. And But all it does is just take one game for someone to change their opinion and, and, and that was that. And he, sometimes you need a quick fix. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes you need a quick fix. And after scoring two goals and it's not the forest and has got an absolute bullet, outrageous header, I think it was from the edge of the box. Everything can all more. This guy's going to help us through life where we was last season. This season, this particular season, is a tough one for me because there's 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 no way in hell that squad should have ended the season relegated and bottom, especially behind a team with a ten points deduction in Plymouth. I've experienced relegation seasons where we've looked doomed from day one and we've just never got going. But this one seems so avoidable, and there were points throughout the season, including when you're still at the club, where you just think just a small change. A, will will do the trick. Well, other than the issues behind the scenes, what else do you think went wrong? Or was that the principal factor? Yeah, that's it. The, the, the team wasn't connected. I mean, that was it. I mean, the team was connected. Mm-hmm. We didn't go across a white line as a team. We lost as individuals. And we won as individuals, I feel like. That, that was it. I remember scoring, scoring a couple of goals and then unfortunately doing my shoulder against Southampton and then scoring a few more and then obviously moving on. But even to the time I'm moving on, it was still we wasn't great. We wasn't great as a team, and it was probably a, it was a lot of people. You don't understand it. if it weren't for yourself. A lot of Swindon fans wouldn't realise 
throughout all the people that you've spoken to, do you know what I mean, over the years, not just the 2009, over the last 10 years or the 20 years or whatever, a lot of fans would appreciate what you're doing because they get the inside inside of it, do you know what I mean, and, and the honest aspect from it. I just feel like we we wasn't together on and off the pitch, and and that was a fault, and it was no fault of Danny Wilson's, and that that's for sure. Unfortunately, he got the sack when I when I'd moved on, but look, we we wasn't together. We never helped him out one bit. Let's let's talk about your exit. So I'll, I'll say a little bit from my observation, and then you can talk about your exit in as much detail as you want. And I'll I'll sit here and listen very intently. So you leave in January, um, just after that Charlton game, where that was the a game where it seemed like we were gonna we we're gonna kick on one of those another points there. All looked good. Phil Smith's talking about we're still thinking about the playoffs and things like that. A lot of me at the time felt that. Town would have stayed up if both you stayed and the injuries kept away. I feel from my side of things as, as a Town fan at the time that had Andrew Fitton put his arm around you, had Danny Wilson put his arm around you and said, you play until the summer, you'll get your move. You say yes, happy endings all round, you get your big move, Swindon don't get relegated and the future is, is rewritten. I might be completely wrong. I'm happy to say if I'm wrong, but what what happened during that time? I knew from a long time when I was injured. I think I was injured through might be in September, October, five weeks I was out watching, and I was adamant to get back. I knew we were up shit's creek, and I'd scored about six or seven goals at the time. I'd come back and I felt really fit. I felt really good, and all of a sudden, just I didn't miss. I come off the bench after 20 minutes at Peterborough. Because his manager played the situation, he could have played me, and he never, rightly so, played the formation. I think we was two. I think it was the day we lost five four. It was like the Alamo. Up, well, they scored, we scored. They and I scored a penalty coming on, and all of a sudden I just went on a run, scored the goals, and we're going through it. And I remember getting linked with Hull. I'll go and see Danny Wilson. I said, I want to go. And this was probably about mid December. I said, I want to go. He said, You what? I said, I want to go. He just said, Get the fuck out of my office. So I was like, oh, brilliant. I've pissed him off. And that, that was like this probably on a Thursday. Anyway, so he goes in there and that was the end of that. He pulls me in after the train and said, you ain't going, you're not going nowhere. Don't come in my office, tell me this, that and the other. So I was like, okay, fine. We did a couple of games. We play him through. This was all fine. Gets to January. So it was after Christmas time. So we get to January, play in the games, play in the games. That's fine. We get dicked by Bristol Rovers, don't we, again. It was 3-0. Um... And the talks were going on as such. It was never going nowhere. And it, to this day now, me and my agent still think, and we have the chat, like he's the wor- probably the worst to see career move between ourselves, putting the transfer request in. I'm um, living in uh, Old Town at the time. I was coming down the hill towards the train, to the to the town ground on the next day. And I remember putting it in at about half past three when I left. Just literally read it out, handed it in when I left. It was all over the. It weren't Twitter and that wouldn't wouldn't massive at the time. Do you know what I mean? Thank God, it weren't it weren't massive at the time, you know. And uh, I remember driving down the town the next day into training, and outside one of the local shops, Austin hands in transfer request. I was thinking this is mental. How has this got out? Didn't realise the how relevant it was. Such for as everything was like keep in the in house, but it wouldn't. And then all of a sudden, everything came crashing down. I'd gone from the local boy had done so well to everybody. He's turning his back on us. He's jumping ship. It's it, he doesn't want to be here no more. He doesn't want to play. We're going to the Bristol Rovers game, and Danny Wilson in the morning, we're at pre-match, pulls me over and says, "Listen, mate, 
he said, listen, your move will happen, whether it's this January or the summer, like your move will happen, but I just need you to concentrate for the rest of what it is. I said, yeah, okay, fine. And we get beat for and I was thinking, this is fucking crap. I ring my agent and say, listen, this ain't the same, mate, this ain't the same, like what's, what's going on? He said, just listen, it's all fine, don't worry about it, let everything sit. We play Tranmere on the Tuesday, and I miss a penalty, a shit penalty as well, keepers left, fucking crap, at the Stratton Bank end. And I just remember the, the fans turning on me a little bit, and 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 I was and that still sits to me now. I was thinking, shit, they've turned on me here because I I've turned on them. The whistle went, we drew one all. I've gotten the thingy, and I was just like, oh my lord. Agent ran me on the Wednesday and said, look, we're going, we're going to Ipswich. Went to Ipswich and signed to Burnley. It just all happened so fast. If I could rewind it, like I always say to my mates now, I the It's probably the, one of the things I regret in my career doing that at the start. That not that I turned my back on Swindon because I never, it was like a career move that, offered, that it come, but I should have went about it a lot better than what I did. Um, but I still look back now, like you say, maybe Danny will shoot his arm, maybe anything. Okay, so I, t- I flip side this. Andrew Fitton puts his arm around me and so does Danny Wilson, yeah? I signed to Burnley. One month later, I do my shoulder in training, not in a game, but in training because I don't have an operation at Swindon. And then I'm out for the rest of the season. I do this exactly the same as Swindon. I do my shoulder in February. We have a beast. We still get fucking relegated. Then I'm in league. I'm a League Two player. I think from a selfish point of view. I'm in a league. I'm, we've just been relegated. I'm a League Two player. Where am I looking? I'm trying to. Am I going to get that move to Burnley? I'm not too sure. It might be. Why not? But if. But then if I do stay, is one for you. So I flip side of that as well. I do stay. I don't get injured. We stay. I still get my move. However. Paolo Di Canio doesn't come into the football club. The club don't get flip side it, and all of a sudden, the Charlie Osnier has moved because he's moved on. And for the next 18 months, Swindon Town Football Club have got the massive big smiles on their face because they've got Paolo Di Canio in charge of them that lights the firework for everybody then to think, oh my God, this could be the 2009-2010 season all over again. Do you know what I mean? I think to reply to that, I think as a footballer, you have one career. So you've got, you've got to make decisions very, very quickly and that, retrospectively is absolutely your right and I'm I'm far more relaxed about it than I am now like when currently Swindon fans get really angsty when when players don't instantly sign new contracts but you know you've only got one career you've only got one deal and sometimes they only get two-year contracts down at Swindon so so I completely understand that and to be honest I understood why you would have wanted to gone that I mean I could have personally I could have took I could have lived without the, the De Canio era had we stayed in League One because we don't know De Canio's appointment was because Jeremy Ray was so fascinated we don't know Wilson might have walked away in the summer um, having just scraped through left with some dignity and then De Canio might have come in with that budget and we would have stormed League One gone into the championship for example so that is the hypothetical thing I, I think I think we would have been all right it was just oh man it was, I mean the Tacano the area doesn't really get kicking on either until about October November as well so it was it was still pretty bleak but I think going back to my main point there to be honest Charlie you have one career and you made your call and if you need to I mean you don't get many chances and I think from from your side it's worked out pretty well yeah do you know what I just I left everything worked out well and I was fortunate it just went from strength to strength I made the right decision at the time and I feel like me and my agent have made the right decision throughout my career I held on at 
Burnley, it didn't work. I was going to sign for Hull. It never worked out. Um, I went to QPR and, and, and grabbed the, the opportunity with both hands and stayed there. Could have got to the final year of my contract at QPR and, and, and I could have left. And I, I, the, the, the speculation I was linked with, I think about 19 out of the 20 Premier League clubs throughout that summer. Um, and it never, obviously it never worked and nothing, nothing was in writing for me to go. So I thought, right, do you know what? I'm just going to stay. Six months down the line, I signed. I signed for Southampton, who were then gone to finish the season fifth in the league. It was, it was incredible. Do you know what I mean? So, I look back from from that day when I played for New play for Paul Town against New Milton in the start of 2009, to when I'm on the bench at Norwich and played 20 minutes then, to when I play Carlisle away. I score after three minutes. Incredible. Not only that, we go forward. We go forward seventy-two hours. Don't forget and play Huddersfield on the Tuesday, and we win two-one. I score the winner then. We then go to the Saturday. I score two against Late Orient, and we win three-two. It just then goes on. We get beat by Bristol Rovers four. I think then we draw with Brighton or beat Brighton at home two-one. I score ahead of then. It just kind of just went. Do you know what I mean? It snowballed right to the moment I am in my career. It was just Swindon was the big, was the bottom, was the bottom of it, and that was the one that then gave me that big, big push and the big leapfrog to give me the opportunity to, to move forward and progress my career. Austin, four goals, the man formerly of Pool Town. This comes up. Well taken penalty, four apiece. And this is the biggest aggregate between these two sides, surpassing the record from 1982 or 83. And I do want to talk about your uh, your post Swindon career a little bit. I always do because it gives me the opportunity to talk about players that have never played for Swindon, but they're huge names. So since you've yeah. since you've left, you've played, as you said, for for Burnley, QPR, and Southampton. You've worked under some names, young minds like Eddie Howe and Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, yeah. absolute football men. I say in inverted commas with Harry Redknapp, Neil Warnock, and Mark Hughes. How yeah. significant are those are those philosophies differed throughout your career? Miles, I uh, Eddie Howe was top draw, top top draw. From when I started, he would be the, the way he is now compared to what he he were he probably was there. So he was young. He went to Burnley. He was young, you know. Mm-hmm. Probably what he is now and what he's transformed Bournemouth from. I think it's probably 2013 to what they are now, 14 or such. It's it's incredible, you know. I went then. Sean Dyche came in. He he had like the the nasty side. Good, real man's man. Teams, everything was team spirit. Fantastic. Went to QPR and everything. Everybody knows what Harry Redknapp's like. For me, he was fucking brilliant. He made the team play for me. The fullbacks get the ball in the wide area, cross it to him. Midfielders get it in there, give it to him. Inside the box, you know what I mean? Don't give it to me on the halfway line. I'm not going to be lying on Messi and run down the wing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Through the middle. But it was put the ball in the box. It was him. Going there, you think oh, I was at then Chris Ramsey, then have Neil Warnock, he was the same. Then Jim Floyd Gasabank come in, he's the biggest egotistic maniac I've ever met in my life. He didn't like me, I didn't like him. He didn't like me because he knew I was going, but he didn't like the character I was because I had the club. Because, not that I had the club, but I'd scored all the goals for the club. He was a goal scorer, he knew, he knew our goal scorers. I'd be arrogant because it's about us. He knew that, but he couldn't handle it. 
and he didn't like it from day one. I didn't like him from day one, and to this day, I still think he's a shit manager. And, and I've got no. I've said this many times. I'm not worried about it. Um, and I go there, and I, I'm under Ronald Koeman. So I mean, Ronald Koeman was the best centre half ever, best centre half going until Verge is playing at the moment. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Uh, I go there, he leaves, and then Claude. All they all have their own best, own goodness, and all have their own not so good. You know. I've got, I've got to stop you at, at Ronald Koeman because he is an absolute hero of mine. Not for his exploits for the Netherlands against England in 93, but for that free kick against Barcelona, against Sampdoria in 92. A huge moment in my childhood of following yeah. football. He's he's there. For, I mean, at Southampton, you've had a manager every bloody season, it, it seems. And no wonder there's an inconsistency at Southampton, in my opinion, yeah. because they keep on changing their football managers. But yeah. But what was Koeman like? I was top. Oh, it was top. I was. I was there. I come in January, but he dashed down his hand. I think it was his Achilles in the summer. He was. Uh, he was Ronald Koeman, so he just watched everything. I think he got frustrated because he, when he played, he was top, 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 top player. Do you know what I mean? Top draw. But his coaching methods and everything, and everyone kind of just listened with every little aspect of what he was saying because you couldn't fault him, and whatever he said was only going to benefit your game. Um, and that is why he become a successful manager, and that's why Netherlands are probably going to be a successful team come the future. I want I want to mention this while it's still in my head, but I've only seen you play once post Swindon. I didn't see you play against Swindon in, in those couple of times, but I saw you play because I live in Bristol. I saw you play at Ashton Gate for Burnley, and you scored. <laughs> After about a couple of minutes, and yeah. you were given now what they call shit housing. You were given yeah. it the proper, yeah. and you have been known to give it the proper big yeah. one, and it was great. It was an amazing game, and they you sort of they don't like you for it. I think it finished four three. They equalised in injury time, and then Duff goes and scores a winner with the last header of the game. It was an amazing game. I just think, fuck it, as a centre forward, you think score. I'm going to score goals, celebrate. It's the best feeling ever. Like, you ask every footballer, anyone tells you they don't celebrate. Listen, I understand that. You don't celebrate against a team. No chance. The only reason I didn't I celebrate against Swindon, the only reason I didn't score, celebrate against Swindon, because we were 2 0 down, I made it 2 1. Shit, who's celebrating that? But the one against Bristol City was the reason why I give it to them. Not only because I made it. One nil after about three minutes. I actually in I actually equaled Ray Pointer's record at at the time it was eight consecutive games for Burnley, eight goals. Ray unfortunately passed away two years ago. I'd um yeah, he was like nineteen sixty five, I think this was all the one before before that we won the World Cup. And I'd equalised and even to this day I am six home games on the bounce at Burnley and eight consecutive games for Burnley. Um, and that was it. And I scored two that night. I scored up the one end and I scored a penalty down the other end the following. That was it. But I think that's what you're there for. Fans, fans love it. It's like social media now. They love it. They love giving it to you. If you give anything back to them, they hate it. It's the same on the pitch. Someone can give you, they sing all sorts about you. As soon as you score, you have to, that's, that's part of it. That's just part, that is part of football now. It's just, just fun. It's fun. He's you, better. You, I'm, why would not be that person? I'll score a goal. It's the best feeling ever. I'll just give it to the fans. No worries. That month at Swindon, aside nearer to the end, I think it's safe to say, and you, you might you might agree, you might disagree, um, that, that Southampton is probably the first club where you haven't been universally liked by the fan base. And, yeah. um, 
And a lot of that now seems to be geared towards social media because you speak your mind and you type your mind and things like that. And fans don't like it, even though they do. They do insist on telling you how they feel. We don't tend to like it back, do we? No, I think that that's the problem. That's the problem. Everybody, I think you look at it, Twitter, you've got to be thick-skinned. You've got to be thick-skinned, but you've got to be willing. You saw it right in the sun, and all of a sudden you look at your picture, you've got a fucking egg there. Do you know what I mean? Your picture's an egg. Not what you want to do then, you, you say every name under the sun to you. Give this, that, and the other. But if you give a bite back, they don't like it. You're like, oh my, oh my God, look what he said to me. They retweet your tweet back. Isn't like, I feel like if you can't just say one thing or not, but that's the world. All of a sudden, everyone screenshots everything and that's it. I just feel like it's all right for that, like you say. I don't go into Tesco and say, mate, hurry up and will you fucking scan my food a bit quicker than that, will you? As you say to me, run past my defender a bit quicker. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, that, that's true. It, that's just, it's the same. That's my job. I play football. There's, do you know what I mean? There's someone else who works at, work at Tesco's in the supermarket. Do you know what I mean? There's no bullshit. It's just that's just the way it is. What, one of the things that you that that somehow you've managed to wind up Southampton fans recently is because you you had the audacity to enjoy Liverpool's Champions League win, especially as two of your ex teammates are, are picking up the trophy in Virgil and Sadio Mane. Um, I mean, did you send them a text message? No, I speak to Virgil. I speak to Virgil quite a bit. He best centre half in the world. He plays for my team. He plays number four centre half for my team. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Who I who I support for a little like a little lad. No getting away from that. And the shirt I tweeted the post with the shirt on Firmino. It's actually a shirt that I, I got from him when we played again. People think oh, all of a sudden I, I play I'm professional football and I don't support no one. Holy crap! Everybody supports everyone. Mm-hmm. Everyone has their own team that they follows. Played Tottenham. Played Tottenham Champions League. I watched it. We won. I tweeted a photo. All of a sudden. And the worst thing ever, anyone thought I had a Pompey shirt on. You didn't mind you did. when you scored a winning goal at Old Trafford, though? No, correct, that's the problem. Fix, you've got to fix skin. It's all about opinions. But if you go through your Twitter feed, and it's like anything, you go through your Twitter feed, probably not a lot, because you, you speak to people that speak with opinions and a lot of to how you want to get it across. But not everybody's going to like your podcast. But it'd be the same five or six people. I'll go through my Twitter feed, I'll have a shit game. I've got the same 20 people calling me the worst player ever to play a Southampton shirt. It's, do you know what I mean? That... that that's just the way it is. That, that that's the way the world's going. As social media and fucking hell, they don't affect my life. <laughs> they had Ali Dyer play a few minutes, so they can they can they can um, throw that accusation at you. I mean, because you used to be like play a Saturday, play a Sunday, play a Wednesday. Uh, maybe when you're in your late teens, you're in the pub yeah. watching Super Sunday. Suddenly at QPR at one stage, you've got Rio Verdinand's getting changed next to you. What, what is that transit? Are you still, are you embedded in professional football at that stage? A little bit. When I went to QPR, a little bit, because that was the first, when I was at Burnley, that, yeah. I mean, respect. We never had the biggest name players. No. You know I mean? Good squad, we never be, go to QPR. All of a sudden, you fucking team there. Rio was, Rio, Rio wasn't at the start, but obviously you had Richard Dunn. God knows, he made, the, they go on about the most, the best, game he ever played, Irish centre-halves ever played when he was playing over against Italy and he, on the time he had the AstroTurf and his eyebrow and all this, all, do you know what I mean? Him, Kevin Doyle was there, um, Joey Barton's, those good mates of mine, do you know what I mean? Carl Emery, like, go on, you could go on with names, Bobby Zamora, Andy Johnson, like, them two were unstoppable when, for Fulham, and, and there was me, little old Chaz come from, uh, carrying the odd from Burnley, goes into that dressing room, it was like, fucking hell, be, I'm going to get brushed aside here and I start to stand up for myself, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And show him what I can do and I was very fortunate that I did after about two minutes there. In 2015, 
You got yeah. really close to an England cap under Roy Hodgson. Uh, it's a point of annoyance for me because you yeah. legitimately deserved a cap. As far as an Englishman was concerned, only Harry Kane scored more than you last uh, that season. Ireland seemed the perfect opportunity, the perfect side for you to come on and play 20 minutes. But they went with Vardy. You know, only did you go with Vardy. It was like, just play us fucking both. Don't beat around. Do you know what I mean? Play beat us both. I, I never played. Rob Green, the other goalie, the other, I think it was my, Joe played in goal, Joe Hart played in goal, some. I'm not too sure. It might have even been Fraser at the time, Fraser Forster, and Nathaniel Klein. Never got on, I was thinking, this is mental. But I love that surround I was in. I think that was probably one of the closest thing I ever got to was obviously playing for England. I'm disappointed even to this day, but that's football. It, it would have been incredible if it, if it had happened, but... I couldn't have done no more that season. I mean, I scored 18 goals for a Premier League team that got relegated. I missed two penalties. What more do you want me to do? It, 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 it seems like the, the qualifier after the Ireland game, fair dudes, you know, but that, yeah, that no, Ireland. I had no to play in that. And Jack Wilshire ran the show that game, by the way. He was that one. I watched him play that game then. He absolutely run the show and it. It was, it was just like, wow. But I know, in the Ireland game, yeah, that's when I thought, well, do you know what? I'm going to play in that. Yeah. So Swindon to England squad in five years, so it's not all that bad. Are you happy with how it's gone today? I couldn't complain, I don't think. I'm living the boy's dream. I've got a wife, I've got the kids, I've got a career. I've got the goals to back up what I talk about, you know, and it'd be different if I didn't. Mm. Um, I know where the goal is, I'll make a career and i make a living about putting that ball of air in, in between them sticks and, and I'll do that until the day I retire. Do you have any unachieved or aims still? I think I've scored 148 league goals. I need to get to 200. I may have more. I'm not too sure. But I need to get to 200. Love that, of course, if you want to get the milestone. If you don't set goals, what what you got? I'd, I'm all about goals. I'm a centre forward that scores goals. And that's what I want to do. Love to get to 200, yeah. Career goals, how many career goals you got? 200. Brilliant. I'm a one and two, one and two and a half striker. That's that. <laughs> you went a bit That's... David Brent then. <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. End and I full blast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's close with with a little bit of Swindon before just a couple of questions. So now, as you sit here talking to me, you've you've given me two hours of your time, um, which is amazing, and I thank you for it. How important is Swindon Town to Charlie Austin in 2019? Everybody think, probably thinks it's a throwaway. No, it's not. Of course it is. It's a start. It was a start, and you look out for their result and love them. My mates are Swindon fans. That's so they don't just switch because I'd left. They're still Swindon fans. And where they're going at the moment, they're, they're stabilising. The fans probably not the the biggest fan of the chairman, but he knows what he's doing. And sometimes you just got to trust trust them people in charge. It's, everybody would love their opportunity to be in charge. The same as probably everyone would love to be the manager. But you've got to trust some people that's, that's steering the ship and, and that's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. And if you were to close your eyes and think about your Swindon Town career, which, you know, was not even full two full seasons, um, yeah. what immediately springs to mind when you think about that time? Leeds at home. Leeds at home. Leeds away. Southampton away. A team that... A team. A team. A, a team spirit that probably deserved more than we got and if we had another season together even though we lost two players we'd have been fine and probably brought brought promotion to the town yeah 
I believe that. Fantastic. Well, the, the goals that you scored and those sort of five, six months in the tail end of that first season are ones that we'll be talking about for years and years and years and years. And I thank you for it. Charlie, thank you very much. No worries, Rich. Thank you very much. I wish you all the best, all right, mate? The Low Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John Daglish. Thanks for listening. Come on, Swindon. Hi, LS Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant like Darren Ward, or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.